We continue our summer blockbuster sermon series with another of those movies that many people, including me, can watch again and again. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which came out in the mid-1980s. It stars a young Matthew Broderick as the titular Ferris Bueller, a high school student who decides to play hooky. And he connives in order to get one of his best friends and his girlfriend to join him for a day of fun in the city of Chicago. It's not all fun and games, though, because a couple of people are really annoyed with Ferris Bueller because he seems to always get away with it. Not the first time he's cut school. His sister can't stand it. And the high school principal is caught on. And he spends the day trying to track down Ferris and prove that he's not sick, not at home in bed, but out having a good time. Now, I'll be honest, this probably doesn't sound very spiritually redeeming or instructive. And it probably wasn't intended to be. I think it's basically just meant to be a lighthearted comedy. But there's something about Ferris Bueller that goes beyond his desire simply to play hooky. He's a popular kid. A popular kid with almost everyone. He has what might be described as a winning personality, but also in some ways, at least for a high school student, a giving personality. Looking at other people's lives and taking them seriously and trying to work towards what might be best for them. Even though, in some ways, he's a selfish teenager, skipping school and all that. But those positive attributes that come across in this jam-packed day. Look, I lived in Chicago for eight years. If I could have figured out how in seven hours to do all that Ferris Bueller and his girlfriend and best friend could do in seven hours, I would have done it a lot more. My hat's off to them, off to young Ferris if he could pull it off to not only get out of school, but go to the Art Institute of Chicago, take in a Cubs game, have a nice lunch, and still make it home before the end of rush hour. Quite a feat indeed. But that's probably a bit of an inside joke for people who are familiar with Chicago and its traffic. But what does this have to do with our spiritual lives? I'll be honest, the story of Ferris Bueller reminds me a lot of the story of Joseph, not the the Joseph wedded to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the New Testament, but Joseph, the son of Jacob, introduced in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob, but the favorite. Always difficult to admit that a parent has a favorite child. It's one of those things that you're not supposed to do. Uh, As a parent, you're not supposed to have favorites, and if you do, you're certainly not supposed to admit it. But Jacob does, giving his son a fabulous coat, which in the King James is uh, translated a coat of many colors. Hebrew scholars suggest it's a coat with many colored threads showing its finery and its expense. Tim Rice, the lyricist uh, for Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, titled it an amazing, amazing technicolor 
dream coat. Whatever it was, it was a symbol that Joseph, this young teenager, was his father's favorite. And that got under his brother's skins to no end. They were insanely jealous. Jealous because their father seemed to love him more and dote on him more than he did them. Jealous because, well, Joseph could be a bit obnoxious. We get a little taste of that at the beginning of the story. He has these dreams, dreams of his own importance and how he's so important that everyone he knows, his entire family, will bow down in honor to him, whether to worship him or to just acknowledge his power over them is not clear from these initial dreams. You could probably interpret it either way. I don't know about you, but if you were around somebody like that, who not only had such dreams, but had the temerity to tell you about them, to say that not only that they thought they were going to be important when they grew up or later in life, but that you would bow down to them and recognize their importance, well, that's just rude now, isn't it, to share such stories of such dreams. And I imagine you'd be jealous. And if this was the sort of person like a Ferris Bueller or like Joseph, who seems to well, be a favorite, to get away with stuff, to be able to cut corners, break the rules, and still come out ahead, well, you'd be even more jealous and frustrated. And not without some good reasons. But for those of us who have read the rest of the story of Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, we know that this is only the first scene in a very long saga and that Joseph will face many challenges and many successes through the course of his life. And ultimately, yes, his family will bow down to him when he's uh, an imperial official for the Egyptian pharaoh later in life. But it's not a straight path from obnoxious teenager to the third most powerful man in Egypt or some such thing, as the scholars say. And in fact, Joseph's personality, his way of looking at the world with hope, with expectation, and with quite a bit of charm, seems to get him into good opportunities and then into problems along the way. His brothers want to kill him, the oldest says that won't do, and so they merely sell him into slavery, which is how Joseph ends up traveling from the land of Canaan into Egypt. He gets bought as a house servant, a house slave for a, a Roman military leader named Potiphar. But he excels at his duties and rises to become the most honored person outside of the family in Potiphar's house. Well admired and respected and trusted, by Potiphar and his wife. All goes well until Potiphar's wife takes a romantic liking to young Joseph. Joseph rebuffs her advances, and she accuses him of making untoward advances, and he gets thrown into jail, where he languishes for a period of several more years. Though the dreams come, this time through the eyes and the sleep of others, and Joseph interprets them. And this eventually turns into his ticket, his pass out of jail, and into 
the court of Pharaoh himself, interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams, predicting seven years of plenty, plentiful harvests, preceding seven years of famine, and suggesting rather brazenly to the Pharaoh that the Pharaoh needed to find somebody who understood the situation to take charge of those crops so that the plenty could be saved and used during the years of famine. And Pharaoh is so taken by this charming and discerning and wise foreigner that he elevates Joseph to a position of power and prestige. And when the years of famine come, his family comes to Egypt where there still is grain stored in granaries seeking to purchase some. And they come into Joseph's presence these brothers and his, and they don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. And he seeks to find ways to help them and even to forgive them. Because the obnoxious teenager with those rather ridiculous dreams has turned into quite a moral leader. One of the exemplary figures of the Hebrew Scriptures someone that we should teach our children to emulate, believe it or not. We don't know what happens to Ferris Bueller after his titular day off, his skipping of school, but one imagines that he turned out all right, and that his winning personality, his way to help others around him, while also keeping an eye on his own self-interest, probably did get him ahead over the years and probably made him good at whatever job he would undertake, good as a husband, good even as a father, as an exemplary moral leader, somebody who could use his charm and his ability to build relationships with all host of people, well, benefits a lot of people in the future. Just like Joseph's obnoxious confidence in his own abilities proves out to be, well, a source of salvation, frankly, not only for his immediate family, but for a huge swath of the population when Egypt became the region's breadbasket, feeding numerous, countless, untold people during seven years of harsh famine. There's a point in the movie where his sister has totally lost it, and, um, and eventually she ends up <laughs> under arrest, almost, and is in a police station. And she's encountered by an unnamed character, played by young Charlie Sheen, a juvenile delinquent who's in there for drugs or alcohol or both. And he invites her to unburden herself, and she admits that her problem is that she is furious at her brother. He seems to get away with all of this stuff. He, he cuts school and there are no consequences. And she just thinks that's terribly unfair because she knows if she were to cut school, well, she'd get caught and there would, would be consequences. And the juvenile delinquent suggests that maybe her problem isn't really with her brother because her brother's actions aren't really affecting her all that much. 
but really the problem was herself and how she was looking at the situation and worrying more about her brother's actions than about the life she was making for herself. All goes well until he suggests that there's a young man that she ought to talk to, at which point she looks at him with an evil, evil's a strong word, with an angry glint in her eye and says, if it's Ferris Bueller, well, I won't repeat the rest of the line, but he says, oh, you know him? Which in a nutshell is the story of Joseph and his brothers. Because trust me, when he was a teenager, they could not see him as anything but an obnoxious pipsqueak who was daddy's favorite. But even then, he was a lot more than that. And because he grew into the gifts and purposes God had for him, he became much more than that for them, as well as for Pharaoh and so many other people in the world. And there's a lot of truth in that, about how God sees the gifts that God gives people, including you and me, and how God invites us, perhaps waywardly, sometimes through self-interest, but hopefully with a purpose of helping others, how God leads us to using those gifts more fully for the benefit of more people, for the sharing of love and hope, for forgiveness and peace in the world around us. That, in a comic way, is what Ferris Bueller is called to do, even on his titular day off. That, through the hindsight of Scripture, we know was the purpose that Joseph had when he was born one of the sons of Jacob and sold into slavery in Egypt. And in some ways, it's the purposes that you and I have and that others around us have, even those around us who well, they cut all the corners and break all the rules and just seem to keep getting away with it. Next week, uh, we'll look at another comedy, this one a much more adult comedy, about a band of wives who are now ex-wives and the ways they seek to, well, revenge the loss of their marriages and punish their cheating ex-husbands who have now all begun relationships with much younger women. So we'll look at spiritual lessons about love and revenge or not in the First Wives Club next week. <laughs>